October 3rd, 1960, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The Andy Griffith Show made its debut on CBS. I know, that's what I did. Though the show only ran for eight seasons and 249 half-hour episodes, The Andy Griffith Show has never been off the air in 60 years. I'll be dog, don't that beat all? Today it's on two cable networks, TV Land and MeTV, as well as numerous local affiliate stations. Shazam! I'm Ben Sandifer. We begin this podcast with an interview we did for our Greatest Memories podcast in 2015. Yeah, that's the plan. Eddie Jones is a friend who may be the biggest fan of the Andy Griffith Show here in Macon, Georgia. This is big. This is really big. And Eddie recalls when he first became a fan of the show. Seven, eight, nine, ten years old, just a, a year or two after the show began production. I've always had a just an interest in that show, just back when the show was shown prime time. For each of the past 31 years, Andy Griffith's hometown, Mount Airy, North Carolina, has held Mayberry Days the last week of September. I first started going to Mayberry Days in uh, 1997 and went for the following 14 years or so. Some people go on cruises, some people go to the mountains. We we went to Mayberry Days, and it's just a great opportunity to see the some of the celebrities that were actually on the show, even if they had a small part of the show, uh, just just to see them and get their autographs sometimes. Eddie even has a special room in his home that's devoted entirely to the Andy Griffith Show. You know you or a fan of Andy Griffith when your wall switch has a Barney plate on it that shows him loading his gun. So from that point when you first enter the door, uh, shelves, collectibles, autographs that I've gotten over the years. Uh, James Best, who recently passed away, I've got some of his paintings. He did some oil paintings. I'm very proud of that room. It's a place of homage, I guess, for me. Eddie and I once teamed up to teach a Sunday school class based on the Andy Griffith Show. We would take selected episodes and actually show that episode in the Sunday school class, and then we would have a, a question and answer and get some thoughts from the the members of the class and uh, you know we were averaging uh, in some cases 15 or 20 people in that class and we, we really got a whole lot out of that. Eddie said it was the relationship between Andy and Barney that made the show so special. Barney would do things uh, wrong virtually every episode and Andy would many many times fix that wrong without Barney even knowing that he fixed it. And to me, that's protection of each other. That's so much missing today. We asked Eddie if he thought a new version of the show would work today. The biggest challenge, I think, to making it work would be to duplicate that genius that was in all of those characters and and the writers of that time. The the one-liners, the little innuendos that if you watch enough, you'll catch. That's just pure genius to me. And of course, Eddie is a member of one of the local chapters of the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club. And the name of that chapter... Lots of luck to you and yours. Each club actually will develop its name of the club and then be issued a charter for that club name. So no other club, wherever it may be, can have that exact name. Some clubs will do charitable events. Some clubs will do maybe nothing or maybe just every now and then get together. Last number I heard were maybe 3,000 different clubs around, mostly around the United States, of, of some 
that do one thing or the other. Now back to all those trips to Mayberry Days in Mount Airy and some of the characters Eddie met. James Best, who was on two of the episodes uh, as the guitar player. Later on, you, he was uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane in the Dukes of Hazzard, but he was just a funny, funny guy. The other person is Betty Lynn, who played Thelma Lou, of course, on the show. Just the nicest, sweetest person, genuine. She moved to Mount Airy, North Carolina, where Andy Griffith was born and raised four or five years ago, and she lives locally there. Not only multiple trips to Mount Airy, but also this trip. I have been to what's called Franklin Canyon uh, out in the Los Angeles area. It's actually about three blocks from Beverly Hills. When you see the opening scene of Andy and Opie coming down the trail with the fishing pole, this is where this scene took place. Uh, a lot of the scenes that were in the episode, the fishing scenes, were shot at that lake. And Eddie's favorite Andy Griffith episode? I guess my, one of my all-time favorites, really, is the Man in a Hurry episode. You people are living in another world! Uh, easy, Mr. Talker. This is the 20th century, don't you realize that? The whole world is living in a desperate space age. Men are orbiting the Earth. International television has been developed. And here, a whole town is standing still because two old women's feet fall asleep. <laughs> I wonder what causes that. It just shows that a, a busy person, uh, this busy businessman, comes to Mayberry uh, driving through on his way to Charlotte, and his car breaks down. It's on a Sunday, and he cannot get anybody. It's not that they don't want to help him, but nothing in Mayberry was open on Sunday. And he's frantic. His blood pressure is going up. And at the end, where he had become relaxed enough to settle down and doze off, and he peeled this apple just to complete... Uh, distinction between the opening of the episode and the ending. So the meaning of that, I think, means a lot of humor in it, too. But I think, you know, slowing down and uh, appreciating the things around us means a lot to me. And an update, since we talked with Eddie in 2015, he still has a Mayberry room in his house, but he also has a new addition in his garage. His sons Ben and Dan fixed up Eddie's old John boat and even included a name in the new paint job. You know what that name is? Aunt B. Aunt B. Aunt B. Yep, right there on the boat it says Aunt B, Myers Lake, Mayberry, North Carolina. Andy Griffith Show fans know her as Thelma Lou, Barney Fife's girlfriend. Thelma Lou? Uh, I like you, Thelma Lou. I like you a lot. You're the cats. <laughs> I, I never said them three words to a girl before, Thelma Lou, but, but I mean it. You're the cats. In 2017, we did a phone interview with actress Betty Lynn, who played Thelma Lou. We first asked her how she got that role. I auditioned for it. I was under contract to Disney at the time. I was on a series called Texas John Slaughter. But then they, I got a call in from the people at the Andy Griffith Show asking if I'd read for the part. And I had already seen the show twice. And I thought it was terrific. 
And I was so thrilled to have a chance to read for it. So after I read, they said they were interested in having me do the part. And I said, well, if you can work it out with Disney, fine. Because, you know, I thought at that time I was tied up with them, which I was. But then Mr. Disney dropped our series. And so I was out in the cold. And so I was free and open. But they never signed me to a contract. They let me do the part. And they would notify me and put a hold on me, which they didn't pay me for. They'd put a four-day hold on me, which meant I couldn't take a job with anyone else. And what made the Andy Griffith Show so special to Betty Lynn? Well, I think it had everything. That show had reality. It had sweetness and a relationship between a father and a son that was very real. Everybody on that show, they were such good actors. And it was such a thrill for me to work with them. And thank God, Thelma Lou, every now and then would show up. And I loved working with Don. He was the sweetest man. He was nothing like Barney Fife. He was just a great actor who could turn that on like fireworks, you know. And I I just loved that show and couldn't wait to hear from him and couldn't wait to be in it and read the script with everybody. There always seemed to be a very special chemistry between Don Knotts and Betty Lynn. People say that. And I think it must be true, because I remember when we started making personal appearances later, they would say, was there a little something going on between you and Don Knotts? And I first I was offended. He was married all the time. And I thought, no. And finally I said to Don, you know, finally hit me how good we were that people thought there was something going on between us and really believed it. So I said... I should say thank you to them, not get offended. It was just we were doing our job well, and it came off well, and they believed us. Earlier, Eddie Jones mentioned that Betty Lynn now makes her home in Mount Airy, and here's how that move came about. Uh, I'd been coming for Mayberry Days, and I enjoyed it, and everybody was so kind. And it's a beautiful little heavenly spot on earth here. It's beautiful. And... Andy was shocked that I ended up moving here. He told me later he couldn't believe I had moved to his hometown. But I'm very glad I did. I think God intended me to be here. I really do. My home had been robbed twice in L.A. while I was away on appearances. I can see so much of what Andy drew from his hometown. I have been so happy here, I wouldn't leave for anything. No. I just love it. Even in her 90s, Betty Lynn makes regular monthly appearances at the Andy Griffith Museum in Mount Airy to greet fans and sign autographs. I I just enjoy being there and seeing all of them. People line up. They are so dear to do that, and it isn't easy standing for a couple of hours. I really love talking to them and seeing them. They're all ages. Um, I've noticed lately, though, More people in their 20s and 30s are beginning to show up. I don't know if they're just now catching up or what it is, but there's that middle range that kind of, I think, used to think, well, that's Grandma and Grandpa's show, or that's what I watched. You know, they didn't keep up with it. Well, they've come back to it, and they're a lot more that age now than there used to be when I first started doing the autographing. And some final thoughts from Betty Lynn about playing the role of Thelma Lou. I couldn't have been happier doing Thelma Lou. I loved Thelma Lou. It broke my heart when I was no longer on it. In fact, I said goodbye and thanked Andy and thanked Don and everybody, and I went in the ladies' room and went all the pieces, cried and cried like a baby. 
I hated to leave. I just loved it. So, and it, I never felt that way about any other show I did. I did a lot of movies and I was in a lot of television, but nothing compared to the Andrew Griffith show in my heart. Next up, we talk with Alan Newsom from Huntsville, Alabama, whose love for the Andy Griffith Show began in this way. I was at Auburn in college. I'm an electrical engineer, and uh, what what actually happened is to relieve stress every day. Because in engineering, um, uh, it's just uh, it's a stressful. At least it was for me. That every evening at 10.05, Andy Griffith show came on. And my roommate and I always stopped and popped some popcorn and sit down and watch the Andy Griffith show together. And while I had watched the Andy Griffith show before then, it was at that time I really started getting really hooked on the show uh, and and just loving it all the more. And from there, he started the website, imayberry.com. I was wanting to learn how to do HTML and make web pages and things, but I didn't want to do a page about me. And so I was involved with the Andy Griffith Show, and I thought, hey, I'll do a, a page about the Andy Griffith Show. I'll start a website that's uh, the Andy Griffith Show site. So that's how I got started, and I've been doing it ever since. We have a mailing list where people can, uh, every day they get a digest version. I started that back at that same time frame. And it's grown over the years. Uh, now we do a podcast about the Andy Griffith Show. We've done a Mayberry Bible Study podcast. The main podcast is Two Chairs, No Waiting. And uh, we've I've been doing that for 12 years uh, alone, just that podcast. It's been a, a great pleasure getting to do that because you meet so many amazing people uh, that in, also enjoy the Andy Griffith Show. And the Andy Griffith Show is just a mechanism that kind of helps me find them and just be able to enjoy their company and help them enjoy each other's company. The name of Alan's weekly podcast, again, is Two Chairs, No Waiting. I had the the imayberry.com website, and I had some interviews I had done with cast members, and I did them back years ago in the 90s, and so they were in a format called Real Audio. But I wanted to convert them into MP3 files so people modern could uh, actually listen to them. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I need to have a little introduction. And so I'll just, I'll do a little, I'll start a little podcast and do a podcast with those things. You know, I had tended to do it just a short term thing. And then everybody started getting popular. And then I thought, well, I'm only going to do 249 episodes of the podcast because that's how many episodes of the Andy Griffith show there are. And then once I got close to 249, the listeners of the podcast were like, no, no, you can't stop. You can't stop now. So uh, I'm heading for 600 episodes right now. Now, you may be wondering how Alan keeps coming up with new material for Two Chairs No Waiting. It's definitely done from a love of the Andy Griffith Show, obviously. I love the show, and and it's related to not just the show, but some of the, the actors and stuff. Sometimes I'll tell things about them. But, you know, I, I believe it's true of almost anything. If you're a sports fan, uh, whatever you are, you never run out of things to talk about. I mean, people still talk about the 1942 World Series or whatever. You know, they they still they still talk about those things. So even a 60 year old show, I'm still able to come up with little tidbits that maybe nobody's ever heard or had never thought about it like that. Uh, I did an episode a couple of years ago that just came to me as I was driving around. I said, "How come they always call him Ernest T?" 
Nobody else I know, they ever just call Ernest T or Ernest T. Bass. They just call him Ernest Bass. Well, maybe that's because his daddy was Ernest S. Bass, and maybe his granddaddy was Ernest R. or something. Maybe that's a whole family thing, so you have to give the whole name every time. But you just come up with ideas and kind of throw them out there and let people have a little bit of fun thinking about the things you think of uh, or some little trivia that you're able to pick out of an episode uh, just just those little gems that are from people that have watched the Andy Griffith show for 40 years or 20 years or whatever, that they can watch it again and go, hey, that's that's what he was talking about. There it is. You know, so it's fun to find those things. And uh, and plus, I just love the show. So I can always talk about something. I am really honestly surprised I keep coming up with some kind of idea every week of something to focus on. And sometimes suggestions for episodes come from the audience. There are a lot of people out there that come up with uh, great ideas. You've got the people in the digest. There's the I Mayberry community. It's called imayberrycommunity.com. People that come up with ideas about things and they'll pick out something new uh, that they've never noticed before. And I think that's kind of the the joy of the show because you, everybody loves Barney and you love watching what Barney Fife does. And, but then after you've watched it a few times, you really start kind of noticing what Floyd, the barber's doing because he's back in the background mumbling and saying things that you, you start paying attention to listening to him or you start listening to what Goober's doing. And there's just so many smiles to be had. And I think that's what's made the show endure all these years. I know I grew up in a small town and I knew a lot of people growing up that were similar to the characters you see on the Andy Griffith show. I knew, uh, I knew some Ernest T. Bass type people and, and, uh, Ray Hollister, the farmer, uh, from town, you know, I knew people like that and definitely knew church ladies that were like Aunt B's friends. And, and, and I think you, you kind of have a little bit of a nostalgia there that just triggers every time you watch the show. The Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club had a similar start based on a college experience. Jim Clark is the is the fellow who started the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club when he was a student at Vanderbilt University back in the 80s. And they started it uh, because at the fraternity house he was in, they only had one TV, and MASH and the Andy Griffith Show came on at the same time each day and so to get dibs on the tv they started the andy griffith show rerun watchers club so somebody would be there to watch the to, to get the tv and be able to watch the andy griffith show rather than mash so that's kind of how it got started and they run that out of nashville jim does and keeps up with all the different chapters because uh, there's uh i forgot how many 1400 and something chapters of the andy griffith show rerun watchers club and that's what imayberry.com is the website for the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club. Alan Newsom also runs the Andy Griffith Show online store, appropriately called Weavers. Jim Clark, who started the Rerun Watchers Club, actually ran Weavers until about five years ago. And I had run the website for weaversdepartmentstore.com. And uh, when Jim decided he wanted to kind of step back a little bit and not do as much, my wife and I bought the store and so now we actually run Weavers as well. So anytime you order stuff from Weavers, it's basically my wife and maybe me that filled your order and wrote you a little note and some kind of a Mayberry note in there. And so we just try to give that little extra 
fun touch every time you order stuff uh, if you order certain packages they actually come in a miracle salve box so people sometimes get the box and they're excited about getting the box as much as they are whatever came in it among the items you can find at weavers t-shirts is probably our biggest seller but we do have some books we have a, a mayberry trivia book that that sells very well because you know people you can just sit there and just read the trivia and answer it yourself you don't have to have anybody play with you you know <laughs> you just you read it and try to figure out the answer yourself it's uh, or you can ask people. It's it's a fun book to have. There's a there's a lot of things. We have a Floyd's Barbershop uh, poster that's actually the haircut poster, you know, where you get a flat top and all that kind of stuff. That's like the one that hung on the barbershop wall. We have all kinds of cool things like that at Weaver's Department Store. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun to have. And it's really fun to hear back from people that buy things because it's really it really is to me. It's about sharing the Andy Griffith Show and the love of it with all these fans that are out there. Alan Newsom is also one of the Andy Griffith Show tribute artists. I'm the Floyd the Barber tribute artist, so I dress up like Floyd the Barber. I dress up. Yeah, there's a lot of bad hair around here, too. Yeah. Yeah, so I, so I, do, so I dress up and do Floyd and, uh, you know, trim people's hair and get my picture made with them, and uh, we do stage shows, and uh, it's all clean family fun, too. So it's just a... I, I'm proud to be associated with it. As Floyd the Barber, Allen has made 27 annual appearances at Mayberry Days, and it's also given him the opportunity to meet and work with some of the show's characters. Luckily, I got to work with Don not several times, and I remember how excited I was. We would often, David Browning, who, who, who portrayed uh, the Mayberry deputy, his take on Barney, uh, he and I often got to work with Don Knotts at a show, and when Don did his Q&A sessions, he would have us go out into the audience with a microphone to, so he could hear the question. And I can remember how excited I was the day I was standing down there with the microphone. And he said, how about these guys down here talking about David Browning and myself? And he said my name. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know he knew my name. <laughs> you know, so Even though I had worked with him probably five, six times by then, I just, you know, it, he was such a very nice guy. Uh, as as were all the cast members, Goover, George Lindsay was absolutely amazing. I got to know him very well, and I've I've been very very blessed as being a part of all this Andy Griffith Show fun. Now, as far as a favorite episode, kind of the last one you saw sometimes pops into being the first. But my favorite really is uh, Convicts at Large. Trying to pull something on Big Maud, eh? Well, lucky for you, the sheriff had already hung up. For rights, I ought to let Naomi curl your hair with this heater. Can I, Maud? Can I? <laughs> I hate men. She's a convicted husband beater. You better watch it, Al. Will you stop calling me Al? Jean Carson, who played one of the fun girls. Hello, doll. She also played... Uh, the convicted husband beater convict Naomi that was on the episode convicts at large. And I got to do the scene with her where, where Floyd's sitting on the couch and Barney and Sally are dancing and Jean Carson bust a vase over Floyd's head. Well, I got to do that scene with her several times. So every time I see that episode, I think of Jean, what a wonderful lady she was and she was always a little afraid to bust the breakaway vase over my head every time she did it. And, uh, but it was that one's a very special episode to me, so that's probably one of my very favorites. 
And Alan's opinion on why the show has endured for 60 years? It is a very well-written show, and it is funny. There's no doubt about that. But there's also a little bit of a, there's a little realism to it. I mean, it's not unbelievable. I knew characters like that as I grew up. And I think that's why it's so relatable that, uh, you know, they, they didn't do things that were out of character for whoever the particular person was. Barney always was the same. You know, they didn't change that much. And they didn't do things that hurt him. And Andy had said that before that, you know, if it sounded like a joke, they were going to throw it out. Or if it hurt the character, uh, they wouldn't do it. The joke wasn't worth hurting the person. And I think you really see that, that the, the characters on the show cared about each other. And that portrayal you see coming from these amazing actors and the incredible writers of the Andy Griffith show I think all of that combined to make this just an extremely special television show that 60 years later, it's never been off the air. People still will watch it. Uh, TV land, they try every so often to take it off from the seven or eight o'clock at night time slot that it's got. And they'll take it off for a week or so, put something else on there, and then they put it back because whatever show they replace it with doesn't do as well because there's just something about the Andy Griffith show. You can sit down and watch it. You can see the same episode again and you still enjoy it. Uh, even if you're not paying close attention, when you hear something's about to happen, you stop and look because you got to see how Barney's going to react to this situation, even though you've seen him do it before. And I just think all those things combined just to make it a special show. There's so many other really special shows that are good, but they're just something about the Andy Griffith show has kept it just alive in our hearts, I think, all these years. There's some magic to it. Well, earlier in the podcast, we mentioned Mayberry Days. I don't chew my cabbage twice. Well, in this case, we will, and also mention the Andy Griffith Museum. Like there in that Smith Brothers Institution in Washington, D.C. You might say that. Now, both Mayberry Days and the museum are run by the Surrey Arts Council in Mount Airy, North Carolina. We talk with Abigail Linville by phone. Sarah, get me too far, seven. Abigail is a director of collections and exhibitions at Surrey Arts Council. And she told us how Mayberry Days got its start. Mayberry Days began in 1990, and its concept was built around celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Andy Griffith Show at that time. That was 1990. Our executive director, Tanya Jones, at that time had attended the Francis Bavier auction and met some individuals who kind of inspired it. And it started with an event just being one day of family-friendly activities geared around the Andy Griffith Show. Over 30-plus years, it has evolved into um, almost a week-long event of celebrating all things Mayberry, concerts, games, activities, trivia, uh, the special guests from the show who are able to attend. They come and they sign autographs and greet fans. And if you've never been to Mayberry Days before, it's always held the last week of September. And here's just some of what you can expect. We have concerts. Um, and they're concerts that are geared around the show. So individuals who perhaps were in the show, such as the Dillards. Uh, so Rodney Dillard performs, and he brings his own, the Andy Griffith Show sister, Maggie Peterson, who you know her as Charlene. They perform. Um, so we have Elvis, and some folks want to know where Elvis came from, but Andy actually performed with Elvis 
early in his career. This is pre-Andy Griffith show, so there is a connection with Elvis. So just very fun concerts, maybe old-time music or bluegrass, uh, since those were always in the show. We have uh, a gospel group that comes and performs, and we have a worship service on the Sunday. Uh, we have games. We have Aunt Bee's Pickle Toss, and we have trivia contests, and that's for youth and adults. And this is not easy trivia. A lot of folks think they might be Andy Griffith Show trivia experts until they go to the trivia contest, and these are these are hardcore questions they have to answer. Earlier, we mentioned the Andy Griffith Museum in Andy's hometown. The collection began with Emmett Forrest, who was Andy's good friend from elementary school. They attended Rockford Street Grammar School, which is now what we call the Andy Griffith Playhouse. That was the elementary school they attended. So they remained friends all of their lives, and in the 80s, Amick began collecting, and his first piece was called um, Advertisement for Big Orange Soda, Suncrest Orange Soda, uh, and that comes from Andy Griffith's very successful comedy monologue called What It Was Was Football. So that kind of kicked it all off, and he began collecting for years, collected, and then Andy began to send him items, both from the Andy Griffith Show as well as Matlock. Emmett began connecting with fellow castmates from the Andy Griffith Show, as well as film and TV, TV movies, everything, uh, and began collecting Andy Griffith memorabilia. And so we have the largest collection of Andy Griffith memorabilia in the world. You'll see over 600 items as they relate to the career of Andy Griffith. And some of the more popular items in the museum. Some of the most prized pieces folks like to take their photos with the sheriff and the justice of the peace plaques that you see in just about every episode of the Andy Griffith Show. So we have them in the museum. Uh, We have the sheriff's shirt and uh, original deputy badge and sheriff's badge. We have Barney's salt and pepper suit. Everybody knows that one because that's what he wore when he went to either church or on a date with Thelma Lou. Also in front of the Andy Griffith Museum, you'll see a statue of Andy and Opie with their fishing poles on their shoulders. And this is actually the second one of these. The first one was installed by TV Land, and when they were doing these iconic uh, television show characters, they're putting them in the location of the supposed state where the show occurred. So in our case, Raleigh is our state capital, so that's why Raleigh got the first one in 2002. Now in 2004, they wanted Andy to participate in a um, TV Land award show reunion, bringing the cast back together, and Andy said he would participate if they put the statue in his hometown of Mount Airy. So we are blessed to have the only commissioned statue by the individual who the statue is actually of. So that would be Andy, and he requested that they put it there, and they did in 2004. Often visitors to the museum assume that parts of the show were filmed in Mount Airy. I actually just gave a, a tour and um, had a couple of folks who were, who were just slightly disappointed to find out that it wasn't filmed here because they were asking where you know said location was. And um, I always feel like a heel when I'm having to, to tell them that it was all filmed in California on the studio back lot and soundstage owned by Desi Lou Studios, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, which I think is really cool myself. But what I tell them, and it's kind of encouraging, is that Andy did not want the show to just be, you know, ambiguous. Uh, when it was being created by Sheldon Leonard, he just wanted it to be in the South, and Andy didn't like ambiguous. So he began to inject bits of North Carolina in, bits of Mount Airy, 
his family names, individuals like cousins' names he used in the show. And we have a wonderful exhibit here. As soon as you come into the museum, it's called um, Mount Airy to Mayberry and Back. And it is connecting episodes to people and places here in Mount Airy that he just infused into the show. It's a wonderful nod to home. And Abigail hears a lot of thoughts from visitors as to why they think the Andy Griffith Show has lasted for 60 years. A common um, statement would be, I can sit my grandkids in front of it, I can sit my kids in front of it, and I don't have to worry about what they're going to see or what they're going to hear. There's always a lesson to take away from the episode. I was just talking with um, a gentleman about it, and he said um, he enjoyed like the Mr. McBeavy episode where uh, the man who's walking in the trees and Andy thinks Opie's made it all up, but then he chooses to believe Opie, and then he's blissfully happy to find out that there really is a Mr. McBeavy, a man who walks in the trees. So just little life lessons to take away and, and how it encourages one another. It's neighbors helping neighbors. Of course, they all say it's funny, it's humorous, but I think a common theme would be it's timeless. And that will just about wrap up 60 years of The Andy Griffith Show. Nip it in the bud! Not quite. How many more years will The Andy Griffith Show be around? Well, the answer to that, we went to the cast. 1476. 92. 92. Thanks for listening to this podcast. And the only reason this isn't on TV is because we don't have a TV station. <laughs> From Macon, Georgia, I'm Ben Sandifer. With the last word, here's Andy. I appreciate it and good night.